Welcome to the Denim Dads podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Lono. I'm a father of three in uh, somewhat beautiful Hawaii. I've got three kids, and you can find me on Instagram at at underscore dad underscore chic. And uh, I'm Jordan from what today was definitely beautiful Ontario, Canada. I'm a father of four, and you can find me on Instagram at nifty underscore thrifty. Um, but don't spell it the way you would think. <laughs> yeah, bunch of E's. But uh, yeah, and we've got a guest here today that I uh, am super excited to talk to, but I'll, I'll let him introduce himself. I'm uh, Dane Phillips, Felipe, Bill, Tucker Blaker, Diener Blaker, 99. Uh, depends on what company I'm in. Uh, I <laughs> don't have kids uh, and I don't baby my jeans either. Uh, and I'm currently in Albuquerque, though I'm originally from Southern California. Nice. Thanks for coming on. And shot, thank you. Shots fired already. The implication being that we baby our jeans. I feel bad. <laughs> All right. So we'll roll into what we're wearing. Um, Dane's a bit of a thrift king, and I am in Hawaii. So since I'm a crazy person, I had to tie those two things together in my head. So I'm wearing a thrifted Aloha shirt that I got here on island. Um, it's got a bunch of pineapples on it, so it's obviously the height of fashion. And then I've got my Rainbow Core Indigo Opens on, and uh, I've been pretty much shoeless today, which I think is also on theme. <laughs> nice. Dane, let's hear it, buddy. What do, you, what do you got on today? I think I can guess probably the jeans and the boots. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, do you need to try? <laughs> I'll let you share it. I, I think it'll confirm what I'm imagining. Well, you know, this is actually one of my more expensive outfits, being that uh, the the boots, the Iron Rangers, which I'm using for the Thunderdome, uh, which there's only about a week left in that thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Iron Rangers, uh, Copper Rough and Tough, 8085. And then uh, my Taro 0605V. Uh, for the Indigo Invitational, this is two weeks of wear at this point. Uh, but yeah, those two items add up to be like $700. Um, but then I'm wearing a, my uh, dad joke shirt that I got. I thrifted for $5. Uh, Montana has a big old butte. And uh, <laughs> I also have my uh, $2 thrift store hat that's from a local traffic control company. Uh, I wore that because the... Uh, Earth tones that are that are going on, but also usually an ass like that will stop traffic. <laughs> nice. I do like that I described you as a thrift king and you rolled in here fronting with seven hundred dollars in clothing on, making me a liar. <laughs> awesome good thrift finds on there though. Well, you know, for what it's worth, the the Rangers were half priced because I did a side job that paid two hundred bucks on them. And uh, the jeans were a replacement of my original invitational pair, so I didn't pay for them, my lady did. Uh, so, I mean, if you can count $0 Mama Taro's as a thrift <laughs> store somehow. Yep, thrifted or gifted. I do like the idea of a job that pays in Red Wings, though. I don't know how you do the taxes on that. You send the IRS a 40% <laughs> of a pair of boots, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I also I had my Thunderdome boots on today. Um, I only had them on the first half, though, because they were just caked in mud this morning. I was just out hiking and it was just so wet and gross in there. And despite the way they look, they have been through some uh, somewhere and soaked and muddy and all that. But they just 
Well, and yeah, they're they're drying now and they look new again after I clean them up. It's just they're they're great boots, but they're not going to show a whole lot of patina at the end of this. I got one week to go and they still <laughs> still nothing to show for it. <laughs> but the oh, well, other than how they feel, the leather soften up. But I've got my uh, naked and famous dirty fades on for the indigo open, and then um, I got a thrifted shirt on too. It's the Red Clouds uh, Cone Mills denim shirt. So it's a, yeah, it's a nice, nice heavy shirt. It's like somewhere between a shirt and a jacket in terms of its weight. So really like that one. That was a, an exciting find. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I got on today. And I uh, I get the uh, the honor here to to well not introduce Danny, introduce himself. But it's got to be probably six or seven months ago, I think, where Dane had shared like just the in his past, right, Dane, that uh, you had spent some time um living on the trains and experiencing homelessness for for a while and so i knew i wanted to get some more details on the story just to hear because that's you know something that not many of us are going to have to go through and i think uh we encounter people that are living that life all the time right and just to to get a firsthand account of of what that was like and um even for us that that aren't experiencing that how we can you know do even small little things that may be helpful or, or things at the very least that aren't, you know, unhelpful, but um, whatever you're willing to share, we'd, we'd love to hear and and maybe uh, ask some questions, but if there's anything you don't feel comfortable answering or don't want to answer, just, just pass on it and we'll, uh, we'll move on from there. But I'd love to just kind of give you the floor to be able to share uh, some of your history and, and how you, how you got there and how you got where you are now. Well, basically, uh, the relationship that I've been in for almost five years came to an end. Uh, in the same week, the restaurant that I was working at closed down, and me and my one roommate had it out for the last time. And so I just basically saw it as, uh, this is something that I've always wanted to do. I've always uh, threatened my friends that I was going to just one day just walk off into the sunset, and I'll see him when I see him. Hmm. Uh the only thing is you have to get you have to walk into the sunrise when you're starting in California. Um, <laughs> I, I can't walk on water. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, you could walk into the sunset. It just wouldn't be a very long walk. <laughs> right, right. I mean, a swim off into the sunset is you know. <laughs> that water's cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I it was like a... we come hang out with you. You know. Yeah. So it was circumstances, but then also circumstances that led to a choice. Yeah, it was essentially something I, you know, it was always a dream. It was always, I, I always liked exploring when I was younger and whether it was just taking different streets, going to different towns, cities, whatever. My mom liked to go, uh, we were in San Clemente, which is like centrally located between LA and San Diego. So there was always, you know, a major city within a couple hours drive. And so we would just go off and, you know, park the car somewhere and wander around and whatnot. And, uh, that was also kind of one of the things that that helped me make the decision was that my mom passed uh, when I was 18 and she had always wanted to be an oceanographer and travel the world studying ocean wildlife or uh, hmm. that's, you know, that's what she had planned. And then she got married, had a kid and it got derailed. Uh, so part of my intent on going on this grand old adventure was doing it for my mom to be able to to kind of do a version of something that she wanted to do, but you know, also yeah. because I got my sense of adventure from her. Um, yeah. 
And then the other thing was I had broken my ankle uh, ice skating back in, uh, that was 2008. And uh, I was with this chick. I was supposed to be hanging out with another chick. And I, I was two-timing them and uh, double-dipping, whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> but I was hanging out with the one girl, and we were ice skating. And the Carrie Underwood song, Before He Cheats, came on. And I something happened, and I went down. And uh, I ended up not having surgery. I didn't have health insurance and whatnot. So I ended up doing my own physical therapy uh, and nursed my ankle back. It took me about a month and a half to be able to walk again. And so when I hit the road, that was kind of another motivation. And it was, you know, when I had broken my ankle, the doctor said, if you don't have surgery and get a plate put in there and some pins, like you're never going to be able to walk again. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was kind of my thing is I'm just going to walk you know everywhere <laughs> yeah and, uh, wrong. you know see how many miles my my ankle and my boots can take me yeah so where uh where did you go like that first day did you have something set like okay i want to travel a certain distance per day and get to this next city or was it just kind of hunker down where you were you know for a bit what uh what was it like those first few days i uh I had stayed with my buddy after I after I left the place that I was uh, living at. Uh, I went and stayed with my buddy for a week, and I was perusing Craigslist rideshare. And I honestly didn't have a plan or a destination. Um, I knew that pretty much anything was going to be northward or eastward. And, uh, you know, I could have gone a ride to anywhere. I was just looking at the price of a ride. I had about 700 bucks to my name. And uh, I was looking at the price of a ride, but also the distance. And... The, the best I could come up with, actually, on the last day of being able to stay at my buddy's house, uh, a ride popped up to go from Anaheim. Uh, I met the dude right around the corner from Disneyland and uh, up to San Francisco. So that that first night that I took off and left, you know, my homeland of Orange County, um, I went to San Francisco. I stayed the night in this dude's apartment and uh, the next morning just kind of walked out and I had my backpack and I was just this, this, it is what it is. I am now an individual on the street in San Francisco with nowhere to go and nothing to do really. Did you uh, know anyone in San Francisco or just that's where this guy could give you a ride to? Yeah. That was the furthest away that I could, that I could travel Wow, in one shot, $45. Yep. Man. So then, so you land in San Francisco and that's kind of like day one. You're on your own. You don't know anybody. No place to stay. Yeah, no, I uh, I went up to this park because I, I seen a bunch of other homeless people hanging out there. And uh, so I went up there and I asked these kids if they wanted to smoke a joint. And, and they kind of laughed and they're like, yeah, we'll smoke your weed for you, with you, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we sat there and then they were like, oh, you're, you're new here, huh? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is my first time here. And uh, they were train hoppers. And they were talking and whatnot uh, about like where to go and how train hopping is superior to hitchhiking and the hierarchy of homelessness, basically. And uh, that was like first things first. I got that crash course. Um, so what what is is it? Uh, would it take long to explain? What's the hierarchy of homelessness? I've never I've never heard that before. Uh, basically, hobos are at the top of the pyramid. Um, because of the fact that a true hobo works or or produces some type of work for themselves to generate income through a skill or hobby or whatever, 
Um, the hobo doesn't really panhandle so much, provided that that's like a last resort option. Um, mm-hmm. But they they travel to work and they follow different types of circuits or different types of uh, agriculture, you know, different seasons, different harvests. And their whole thing is that they go from one place to another. They make up some money. They go to the next place and just keep moving on. Yeah. Uh, and then you below that, you've got like uh, festival kids. There's the, the group of people, the Rainbow family. Um, just a bunch of a bunch of hippies, you know, Grateful Dead followers and anybody that's into like all the hippie shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're traveling around they're festivals. Yeah, there's plenty of people that ramble around, whether it's you know by van usually or by bus or something like that, and uh, they just follow whatever bands they're into and just meet people along the way and you know trip out at the festivals and make it to the next one. Okay, got it. And that, you know, it's popularized and, and like started by the Grateful Dead um, and the, the massive following they had and people wanting to be at every show every night, you know, and what a long, strange trip it'll be. OK, so we got uh, then you have. Sorry. No, go for it. But yeah. And then the, the next level would be like the uh, local bums. They call them home bums, but ones that uh, stay in their city, their area. um they're usually older. They usually will claim to be a veteran, though you're not sure if they are or not because they'll limp around on the the median or you know the edge of the highway. But then you see them walking around normal later, so you don't know if they're really shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know those those are the older dudes that like to sit around and drink beer, but they they get food stamps and they stay at shelters overnight, but they pre- prefer to just sit around on the street and drink. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's. You know, and, and it's not usually uh, or only alcohol. You know, there's other substances, but but they're considered like the bottom dwellers, the people that just stay in one area and are essentially stuck and bound there by a lack of will and an addiction. And hey, so, uh, Dane, if you ahead. don't mind, can I can I ask some follow up questions on this subject? Sorry, Jordan, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yes. But uh, so it's about a couple different I don't know tiers that I've kind of encountered. The first one. I don't know, would you actually consider these guys homeless or not? But in Asia, there's a lot of Americans and Europeans that, you know, call them backpackers. They don't have a home, but they still have money and resources, and they just travel around where they can get a visa, where they can find, like, stuff to see. Like, would they classify as homeless, or do you think because they're wealthy enough and they're just really doing it recreationally? And I don't know. Well, even and that's the thing. is, that, Oh, no, I, I've encountered plenty of those individuals. Um, and they... Uh, you know, the word homeless is what gets used and it's what prevalent in society. But the word houseless is a bit uh, easier for people that are in that uh, living conditions or whatever to be in. They prefer houseless because um, where you lay your head is home, you know. OK. okay. And then um, um, go on. Sorry. And, and the people that, you know, there's a lot of people that can work from home or, you know, do some sort of etsy selling or something like that that they can live out of a backpack and they do make a significant enough income to you know bop around whether that's airbnbs or hostels or or couch surfing couch surfing got pretty big but it also got a little less friendly toward more transient people and it shifted to more like nomadic people um and it just depends on like the uh how clean your clothes are whether you're transient or nomadic 
Okay. And then uh, here in Hawaii, we, you know, I'm sure there's more than this, but there's two big classes of homeless they didn't really talk about. And so in the Waikiki area, it is predominantly people who are on drugs and are very obviously on drugs. So that's not super interesting. I, I, I assume tourists that got out of control and they're almost entirely white and just got stuck here with a drug problem. But on the west side of the island, you've got like these homeless camps that are predominantly along the beach and they've got tents or vans and they fish and they're mostly locals. And I kind of laugh in a way because they have a better life than the vast majority of the people in Oahu that are like in cheap housing, you know, beachfront tent where no one bothers you all the time is actually, you know, if you don't have a family that you're like trying to raise, it's a pretty incredible way to live. And I don't know how you would categorize. I've never seen anything like it on the mainland. You know, what would be a million dollar lot if it was developed? It's just a whole bunch of, you know, houseless or homeless people living live in a very interesting and unusual lifestyle. I would kind of call those people more like off the grid, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, beach rats. Because, yeah. you know, that's prevalent in California, too. And it really was more back in the day, honestly, in the 70s and 80s. There are plenty of dudes that would just load up a van and, you know, go up and down the coast and find places to surf and go down to Baja because you didn't need a passport. And, you know, they would fish, they would do whatever odd jobs, work on people's cars for them, you know, whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, surf rat is totally a, a, a degree of like a not so plugged into the matrix type of living for sure <laughs> yeah so from so you end up in san francisco and you meet a few people there that first day that are train hoppers did you did you end up going with them because i know you were train hopping right yeah no i didn't end up going with them uh although there was one dude turtle i kept in contact with him for a while and then we both just kind of like dropped off contact uh but no i ended up uh that first day, dude, I, I ended up meeting this old hippie guy, and uh, we had a very interesting walk down Hay Street. Um, and at the end of it, he said, "Welcome to the hate." There's a lot of love on the hate, and he walked away. And uh, I never saw that dude again. Hmm. Um, but right then, I, I started rolling up a cigarette, and there was this dude that walks up to me and says, "Hey, man, do you have a cigarette?" And I'm like, "Well." You know, you can have this one. I'm finishing rolling. And he was like, oh, dude, yeah, right place, right time. You like mushrooms? And I'm like, <laughs> well, sure. You know, and uh, so he gave me almost like an eighth of mushrooms. And he was like, you know, you were there when I really needed a cigarette, man. And, and you gave it to me with, with no qualms. It was the one you were rolling for yourself and you just handed it over. He was like, that's what that's what it's all about here. Take these mushrooms. So I, uh, I made some tea with some hot water and lemon and honey. Um, and walked down the street with mushroom tea and just, you know, went about my business. Um, I did suffer orange juice. Uh, and that was the first time actually that I experienced it or, or felt any like classes type of behavior or, or discriminatory type of stuff. Uh, because I walked into Whole Foods and the way the woman like barked at me that I had to leave my backpack outside. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I hadn't, that was the first store I, I went into was Whole Foods to get orange juice. And uh, so I did leave it outside. I was paranoid. I was I was so anxious. I you know I didn't want to get stolen. Whatever. Nobody knew it was in that backpack. Um, well, that's everything you had, right? That was all your yeah. belongings at that point. You also it's, had like a thousand dollar set of chef's knives in there. It's also wow. such a good example of just outright classism because the amount of places I walk in with a backpack because what I carry my kids' stuff in, you know, really high end shops, and no one says a word. 
It's right. yeah, striking. Yeah, definitely. So where'd uh, where'd you end up from after San Francisco, or where where are some of the the most notable places? I guess where your travels and train hopping had taken you. Well, the first the first ride that I took, um, it was with some dudes that I knew. One of them from Orange County, him and my ex and a bunch of other people. We used to have our own circle, and uh, I hadn't seen the kid in a while. Turns out he had been out train hopping, and. Uh, he happened to be in Orange County. I happened to run into him at 7-Eleven and he was like, we're going out towards San Bernardino right now to go to the train yard. We're, we're going to get out of here tomorrow and go uh, meet up with this other dude up near Sacramento. And I was just like, you know, yeah, I'll go. And so, yeah, we went and uh, had to, you know, lay low in the trees and bushes and then run across this field while the train had already started. And had to you know we had one shot to pick the right ride and uh so i jumped into a gondola which is basically just like a like an open box um and they could have anything in there i've, I've ridden in some uh, i rode one out of austin that had marble slabs and i was terrified that it was the train was going to break and i was going to get crushed um so i was kind of huddled up in the corner behind where the slab was crooked um but yeah, that first one, I, I jumped in and there was just some metal scraps at the bottom. There wasn't anything major. It could have been filled with shredded cars, you know, for all I know. Um, and so in there, prayed that nobody saw us. And uh, we rode up to uh, Roseville, met with this other dude. We got trapped at the uh, hop spot. Uh, there's like these concrete tubes and a few like empty shipping containers and uh, across the field is the tracks. And that's where you catch something to go eastbound. And uh, we got trapped there because it was raining too much. And then the railroad police were up and down the tracks. And so you constantly have to be the mouse to their cat and sneak on and sneak off and hope you don't get caught on the train near the yard, in the yard, whatever. Uh, And so, yeah, for four days of like, sorry, did that ever happen? Did they ever like catch you or, or is it somewhat, if you just have your wits about you, you can kind of steer clear of them? Uh, it's, it's both. I mean, like here in New Mexico, uh, Berlin is like a major hub for BNSF and there the real cops will drive by on an ATV, uh, with like a periscope, uh, or like a stick with a mirror on the side and check the, the wells of, the different train cars and make sure that people aren't in there. Um, there's other places, uh, you know, they'll stand on a bridge and as the train leaves, they'll scan below, you know, to see if they're on there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I had a run in with some in Kansas city. Uh, that was back in like 2013, but, uh, they just told me, you know, get out of here. If we see you again, you'll be arrested. So, I mean, right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take any chances there. You yeah. Need to tell me twice. <laughs> so San Francisco to Sacramento. Yeah. And then we, uh, me and that other dude, we ended up heading eastbound from there. We went to Reno, uh, went to uh, Green River, Wyoming. That was that was a beautiful little town. One of my honestly, one of my favorite places. Uh, stunning beauty. I made a few friends there. Um, it has rich history, uh, but. That was some of the coldest temperatures I think I ever had experienced, and I wasn't properly prepared for negative type of temperatures. Um, so the whole time going through Utah, 
Uh, me and my buddy were like punching each other in the arms, kicking the container next to it to try to like keep circulation going. And we had every layer we could have on, on. And, uh, you know, that was the first time I ever realized like why I would need a pair of like insulated Carhartt overalls or, you know, even a heavy Carhartt jacket. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I've never experienced temperatures like that. Yeah. I guess if you're, if you're not sure where you're going to be headed, then it's hard to prepare, like to know what you need to bring with you because you don't even know where you're going to end up. Right. Man. But Wyoming, that was your favorite uh, favorite spot that you got to? Definitely, yeah, a few times. Yeah, the scenery is beautiful. Uh, you kind of go through a little canyon, and it's it's up near uh, off of Interstate 80. It's near the border. Of- what was the closest or the furthest north, I guess, you got or the closest to Canada that you would have made it? Oh, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is pretty close. Uh, Plains, Montana, different okay. areas in northern Montana, um, yeah. North Dakota. I was in a place, nice. Hoople, uh, a town of 200 people. I was doing potato harvest there. And no way. Uh, yeah, Hoople was only about 45 minutes away from the, from the border. Crazy. So you, how long were you, I guess, living houseless? Because you like traveled all over the place. It was just around five years. Wow. And so in that time, yeah, it ended up, I I, I mean, I crisscrossed the country several, several times, um, different routes, same routes, whatever. But I uh, ended up uh, going through 42 states and uh, made it down to Puerto Rico during that time. Honestly, Dane, when I, five years, I thought it was like, oh, six months to a year or something. Um, But Wow, five years. Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) July of 2012 um, until January of 2017. So about four and a half years. Wow. Was there a point where you thought, okay, I've had enough, um, but you were just too far in it to be able to put roots down again? Or was it just kind of pretty seamless that, okay, you, you felt like you were ready for a change again and then you know, move back to Albuquerque or, or whatever it happened, or yeah, I guess I'm just curious how difficult is it? Cause that's a long time um, to go from that type of lifestyle back to something more grounded somewhere. Um, It honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't a hard transition Um, as far as like the mechanics of like getting back into daily life and having a job and stuff, but there was definitely like some uh, borderline like traumatic stuff that like still kind of haunts me. Like it, it's hard for me to go into a place now and uh, ask to use the bathroom if I'm not buying something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just like one residual that I still deal with. Yeah, um, just the way you were treated. Right, and yeah. there, you know, plenty of times people are like, you know, I and shit like we don't serve your kind here, or you people can't, you know, use our bathroom or you know whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's so because the city I'm in is pretty large and we do have like a a big population of people that are living on the streets. And so there are a number of places that are are very like open and friendly and you go like, you know, there are places where they have systems worked out so that people that come in can eat for free because people that are like paying customers are covering in different ways. And um, but then there are a lot of places that just are not 
in any way they don't even want people like hanging around on the street and it's like well we're all hanging around on the street so right right what's you know what makes this okay that you can kind of say these people can't be like sitting out here out front but other people can't it's it's just wild that that exists right or well and you know that's the crazy thing is people say you know i don't want to give that homeless dude money because he's going to go buy drugs or he's going to go drink under the bridge or you know whatever but but that person that's you know cruising by in their you know whatever car going to their house after they got off work is going home to smoke some weed to drink some beer to pop a xanax whatever they do to Mm -hmm. unwind you know and yeah but for some reason, homeless or houseless people that deal with whatever they deal with, you know, throughout the day, aren't allowed to go sit in a quiet place at the end of the day and unwind. Right. You know, and you kind of you can't you can't fault places. Right. Bad apples spoil the whole bunch. You can't fault places for being like, hey, you know, and this is in like areas where there is an extreme amount of drug use. But places are like, we don't know that you're not going to go die in our bathroom, you know. Mm hmm. You say you need to just use the bathroom. Well, maybe you're gonna be in there for 45 minutes because you're taking a bath, right? And, you know, in our sink. Yeah. You know, washing clothes and you know, whatever. Yeah. And so there is that kind of liability factor um, that creates you know reservations like that. But at the same time, there there is certain times that it's completely unfounded and it's just a general disdain or hate for the specific type of person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I just could not imagine. So five well, yeah, years. No, uh, yeah, when it, when you asked about like how it wrapped up and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I had I would pop in wherever I popped in wherever I had somewhere to be indoors with someone, generally family or friends or chosen family or whatever. Um, you know, so there were times like I got an uncle up in Oregon. I would be there for the Christmas season. I'd show up before Thanksgiving, take off after New Year's, and you know, hang out he's got four kids and you know, whatnot, um, or going to do a harvest. So the whole month of November, I'm in Montana in this little town, scraping mud out of the beat machines at night and telling trucks where to go during the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so there was a lot of, you know, I did have basically a fair amount of socialization <laughs> in, in the duration, but, uh, I was out at my grandparents' house in Southern California and, I was on Facebook. I was in a group uh, that's like by travelers for travelers. Uh, but it's it's the crowd of travelers that like uh, they're a bit rowdier. They're more like the crust punks and they all do a lot of dope and have no regard for anybody. And it's just like wake up and rage mentality. Um, but I was in there just because it was like a source of news in the community and whatnot. And there was a lot of memes about homeless people and drugs and trains and hitchhiking and truckers and, you know, whatever. Uh, And I ended up commenting on a post talking about Puerto Rico and this chick comments. uh, And so me and her started chatting. We chatted some more. We chatted some more uh, on Messenger. She gave me her number. We called. And uh, I went up to my uncle's house for for Christmas that year and uh, just talked to this chick you know, on messenger or video or whatever, like every day. And, uh, she basically told me, Hey, if you want to come up here to Milwaukee and if you want to, uh, find a job and pay half the bills, that would probably be about 400 bucks a month. Um, you know, more power to you. I'll give you a place to stay. And, you know, 
help you, you know, get a driver's license back and, you know, whatever other little stuff like that, domestication. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of saw it as it is what it is. Um, and so that was my final trip was I got a Craigslist ride out of San Clemente um, up to up into Oregon. And the dude dropped me off on the side of the road, just not even at like a rest area or nothing. Um, just pulled over into the shoulder of the highway and said, get out. This is the spot. Hmm. And uh, I was trying to still go north. He was turning onto some other highway to head west. And uh, so I got out. You know, I started I didn't even make it probably two miles uh, and this dude pulls up in a van and, and he's one of these traveler kids and I didn't know him, but I, once I got in the van and everything, I recognized his name and everything. And, uh, he was somebody that like did the trains, did the whatevers. And now he had a van and he was headed up to Portland and whatever. And so he gave me a ride, uh, to the shopping center, like right down the street from my aunt's house. And, uh, he, he had gotten in a fight and he actually got pretty beat up, uh, in Klamath Falls the night before. And uh, he had a bunch of dollar bills in his pocket that were just bloody. And it was his blood, but nobody would accept him. He, he kept trying to go in and, and use the bloody dollar bills to pay for stuff. Oh, and uh, nobody would accept him. And uh, so I traded him, uh, you know, I think it was like six or seven dollars. And I traded him. I said, here, man, I got clean ones. I'll take the bloody ones. I'll figure out a way to get rid of them. So I just used them at the self-checkout. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's demented yeah. or not, but <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, yeah. So I, I spent Christmas with with my aunt and uncle up there and their kids, and uh, <clears throat> I got a Craigslist ride from a chick that she ended up being another one of the traveler ones. She was one of the ones that was more of a little little bit more of a hippie, and she would like you know trim weed in Northern California and then head out to Maine to do the blueberry harvest in the summertime or whatever. Um, and she gave me a ride, uh, from Portland all the way to Milwaukee. Like she literally dropped me off in front of the house that I needed to be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the only provision was that I <clears throat> did what's called gas jugging, which is asking people for gas. You walk up with a gas can, uh, but I had to get all the gas required to make it from Portland to Milwaukee, um, which I did pretty successfully. I almost died in uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming, that's negative uh, 45 degrees. Wind is like blowing really strong. And uh, I had gloves. I had my Carhartt insulated, you know, I got my uh, overalls. That's what I was going to say. I had my insulated Chippewa boots. I, you know, I had everything that I needed, uh, you know, wool thermal shirt under a wool flannel that's under a wool sweater that's under a hoodie that's under a Carhartt jacket. And, you know, all of that is inside the top layer of the bibs. And still, the wind cut straight through everything. My fingers were yeah. numb. I mean, and so there was a dude, this old man pulled up and I asked him, uh, you know, hey, could you help out with a little splash of gas? You know, we're just trying to get where we're going, getting across the country here one splash at a time. And he said, buddy, you have no business being out here begging for gas in this kind of weather. He said, pull your truck around. I'll fill her up right here. So he filled up the truck. Uh, to full and he filled up the five gallon jug for reserve and told us, you know, get the hell out of here and get to somewhere that's not this nasty. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And then, yeah, when I got to Milwaukee, you know, I started working with a contractor that this chick knew. um, And then he ended up being a real shit bag of a contractor. And uh, so I just started looking on Craigslist and I ended up getting a dishwasher job at uh, 
Pabst because Pabst had shut down operation in Milwaukee like years before that. And I think it was like the early nineties and it was like a huge thing in Milwaukee because like so many people worked for Pabst. So there's like this huge resentment toward Pabst. Generations of families have worked for him just to get screwed over. And uh, <clears throat> they were reopening. They were starting operations again. They opened this gastro pub uh, microbrewery operation. And so I got a job as a dishwasher there. And uh, the, the first night we had a soft opening. We had been training and prepping and dialing in all the recipes and learning all the equipment and whatnot, whatnot. And, you know, finally the place is ready to open the next weekend. So we're going to have a soft opening. And uh, they saw the one dude, uh, one of the cooks, Dan, they caught him in the uh, bathroom doing code and uh, fired him on the spot. And uh, the, the kitchen manager, Mike, he looked at me and he said, hey, man, can you uh, can you run his station? And I said, hell yeah, man, let's get this, you know, and I drank a cup of coffee and we busted, you know, like 200 people's worth of food that all came in at one time. And uh, we kicked ass. And so then Mike was like, why didn't you tell me, you know, why did you want to be a dishwasher? And I told him because I didn't want the drama and the stress that comes with being a line cook, because, you know, I've been on the road and I kind of want to just ease into a job that, you know, I know that I can kill it and it's it's a lowly job. I didn't honestly feel confident coming in here and being like, yeah, the last time I worked in the kitchen was five years ago before I, you know, was a hobo. And that's what you left too, right? To leave that just to come back to it probably would be strange as well. Right. Yeah. And there was a weird uh, sense of, I don't want to say like uh, shame per se, but I, I, I really felt lowly uh, in society. I was very humble, like coming back in. To where even if I was like dressed in a really killer outfit, going out to a cool place, you know, I have enough money in my pocket. I still kind of felt like, uh, at least for the first like few months, I still kind of felt like a weird imposter. Like all of my homeless instincts were still running. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, not able to relax and being very alert of my surroundings. It's PTSD. And, yeah. It's exactly what it is. Like not the exact same circumstance, but I, I know that that feeling well. Um, it's unfortunate. That's a side effect of, uh, you know, the life, the, what should be a, a thing that the society is com- comfortable getting people back in from. Boy, that was a terrible sentence, but it's, it's a, real, <laughs> a real shame to me that, you know, like we should encourage and welcome those coming back from your circumstances. And instead you're dealing with PTSD, just another horrific failing of our world. <laughs> well, yeah. And honestly, that's like a big reason why um, I kind of like why the denim and boots thing like really took off for me because I'd already been off the road for like almost three years um, before I got into it. But it's like that community um, and, and how like supportive people are and the camaraderie that goes on in this community. um, It really, really did help me like be a bit more confident. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to throw the clothes that I'm going to wear today on the ground and take a picture of them. And a hundred and people, a hundred seven people thought that was a dope ass outfit, bro. Fire, fire. <laughs> oh man, why we do the things we do? But I think a lot of people, or probably all of us, say the same thing, right? Like it's we're posting the clothes, but it's more. It's not about the clothes. It's about like the the people we're meeting that have that common interest, right? And just getting to know people and like what we're doing here, right? Just 
chatting and hearing people's stories and it's kind of a, a gateway into those conversations which has been kind of neat so it's oh definitely what i'm in it for anyway so but uh before we do switch gears here i just was wondering if there's any like i would say you know you talked about the different uh groups that you encountered and you know most of us i think will uh you know pretty regularly encounter somebody in our own city you know like the, i can't remember what you call them humbums 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 yeah humbums um if you're you know, in oklahoma there are oklahoma bums <laughs> <laughs> what's you know what's what's the best thing that you can do for someone you you, you see them on the street like i know um we, I don't, I don't carry money often anymore, but, uh, you know, you don't have a couple bucks, but it's like, you know, we always look them in the eyes and say hi, or, you know, ask their name, talk to them a bit. Like what's, what's the best thing or what's as somebody who's just encountering these people, it's, it's a one-off meeting, you know, how can we, um, you know, have the best possible interaction or what can we do to be helpful in that scenario, whether it's monetary or, or otherwise. You know, honestly, there's a lot of people out there that they just want someone to acknowledge them, um, you know, and, and generally speaking, you know, I don't want to like encourage to like cherry pick by any means. Um, but in general, you know, when somebody's, uh, you know, fucked up mm -hmm. and they're out there because they're begging for whatever they can get to go score whatever their thing is. You know, so when you see someone that like they just they don't look like they're really just strung out or on something or, or they look like they're just destitute and they're hanging out outside a restaurant or a gas station. You know, mm -hmm. like me and Shelby did this the other night. There was this dude we pulled up at this Chinese restaurant and he goes, hey, man, you know, can you help me without, you know, some money or whatever? And I was like, I, I'm sorry, man, I don't have cash. I was like, but, you know, I can come right back out, you know, in just a couple of minutes, get you something. And he was like, oh, man, you can give me some Chinese food. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, so I went in there, we ordered and I said, hey, you know, let me get, you know, whatever. I think I got them like pork fried rice and like a grilled shrimp on uh, appetizer. Um, and I told him, you know, that's for that dude out there. You know, if you want, I can carry it out to him. And they're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll take it out to him, you know. And they ended up giving, and they only charged me half price for what I ordered for the dude. And they ended up taking him two full bags that had like several containers in them. It wasn't just the the two boxes that should have been there, you know, for what I ordered. Yeah, they hooked this dude up. What's the name of that restaurant? Free free uh, publicity here. Fantang. <laughs> yeah, go buy go buy some Fantang, everybody. Good oh, I'm sure there. they're gonna see a huge bump in their business because of this. Shout out. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're in this area of town, Knob Hill, and that's like that's where the people that wear the selvage would be. Okay. Yeah. If you're in Knob Hill, go to Fantang. Did I say, did I get it right? Yes, sir. All right. Okay, before we go, well, we got two two things to go here, but uh, I think we've done it with all the guests. Have we done an FMK with all the guests? Uh, Probably. Let's just say okay. we have. So let's keep that tradition alive, even though this episode is going to be way longer than we planned for. Don't worry. Well, we've got two, two minutes tops here. Okay, FMK. Okay. <laughs> Raph, April O'Neil, Casey Jones. FMK. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'll let I'll let Dan go first. Okay, guest goes first. I, I'm sorry, dude. I don't. I'm not. I'm not aware of the FMK. Okay, so uh, F is for you know uh, the F bomb, but a night of fun is what we call it here. 
in case our kids are listening in the next room, which mine keep walking by. Uh, so a night of fun. Uh, okay. M is for Mary and K is for kill. And you got to pick who are you going to, you know, have a romp in the sack with for a night? Who are you going to marry and who are you going to kill? And so well, we got Raphael, April O'Neil, or Casey Jones. I can start if you want. I'm going with Casey Jones. What are you going to do to him? Night of fun, marry or kill? Night of fun. Okay. <laughs> We're just going to watch our speed, you know. So then April, you got to marry or kill. And then Raph, you got to marry or kill. Whichever you don't do to April. April, I'm going to marry. All right. So Raphael gets killed. Yeah, I'm going to marry her on 420 and she'll be Mary Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i going with the same as Dane. Just because Casey Jones, he's a wild man. And then uh, April... I mean, I, I think for a lot of us, she's probably childhood crush, so I'd marry her. And then Raph, to be honest, I always found he was kind of a whiner. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll kill him off. Yeah, I think mine's going to be similar. Raph is actually my favorite turtle, but I can't imagine living with him. And I'm not, I mean, he's just so angry all the time, and I'm not attracted to turtles. I'm not trying to kink shame or anything, but turtles aren't my thing. So <laughs> Raphael's got to die, which is hard to say because I like Raphael. And then uh, Casey Jones just seems like a fun, entertaining dude. And, you know, he's got some wicked puns in the live action. So <laughs> that seems like a good night. And I mean, April with that, that yellow jumpsuit, she probably brought me into adulthood. So we're getting, we're getting married. That's a childhood dream come true. Win, win, win here. That's <laughs> the first time we've all agreed. I know. It's awesome. All right. Well, Dane, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. We'll let you take us out here. Definitely, definitely. You know, I, I thought... You know, not to be a dick, but I, I thought long and hard about this this one. Um, you know, but really, I, I don't have an actual actual dad joke, but there's a pun involved. Um, you know, part of the reason that I have the nickname Phillips is because I'm handy. Part of it is because I screw things up. Uh, but part of it is also because I fill lips. <laughs> I'll do. Oh. Yeah, there we go. All right. Have a good night there, guys. We'll talk later. <laughs> you too, man. This was fun. Thank you. All right. Take it easy.